Welcome to our second edition of the Tiagi Group Podcast, our training edition. Hi, Tiagi. How are you? I'm doing fine, Matt. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Today's topic is debriefing. So I'm going to ask you the question. I know it's a dumb question because it should be quite obvious, but what is debriefing? Uh, debriefing basically means thinking about an experience, reflecting on it, figuring out what you learned from it and if there is more than one person undergoing the same experience, basically sharing your reflections, sharing your interpretations of what happened and what you learned from it, things of that nature, Matt. So in training, why is debriefing important? Why do we need to do it? Don't people kind of get the feeling of what they've learned by going through the experience? Ah, here is a shocking piece of information, Matt. People don't learn from experience. They just get confused. And if people do learn from experience, how come my friend Diane got married for the fourth time? She's hopeful. (laughs) I hope (laughs) she's not listening to the podcast. So, People don't learn from experience, Matt, but they learn by reflecting on their experience. That is why people keep making the same mistake again and again, because they're not learning from the from experience. So how much is, of debriefing is, is telling them what they should feel or ex- have experienced or eliciting from them the answer? B- both cases. This is the balancing act of debriefing. You conduct an activity or you let them have an experience with an intent of they are going to learn these following four principles or following four ideas. And so you have to tell them. But at the same time, it is possible that they can come up with things which you are absolutely unaware of. So you need a mix of both, Matt. I often run into clients who say, all right, the activity takes 20 minutes. That's good enough. We don't need you to spend more time on that activity. Yes, that's a very frequent type of statement or complaint. And the problem with debriefing is it sometimes take more time than the activity itself and that irritates clients and they want us to be able to say very precisely it is going to take exactly 20 minutes for the activity and seven minutes for the debriefing which is also slightly impossible of course there are ways to work around this kind of a complaint but we tell people that people don't learn from experience and without debriefing it is only confusing and it is actually uh, I think professionally 
encouraged the forest, unprofessional forest to conduct an activity without debriefing. Let, let's table for a few minutes the, the workaround. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how to deal with that with clients. Mm -hmm. uh, walk us through the process you use for debriefing. You have a six-step okay. process. Okay, I do have a six-step process. and uh, why, why not 12? Uh, it could be 24 or it could be three. And the caveat, first thing about the six-step process is there are six chronological steps, but that doesn't mean you have to follow them religiously. The stuff about debriefing is when you are in step two, which is exploring the question of what is happening, somebody may say, ah, oh, but if you had doubled the prize money, would have been more enthusiastic, which is actually step five, which is uh, primarily what-if exploration kind mm. of a step. So you cannot shut that, that person up and say, we will come to that on step five, we are on step two. So even though there are steps... No reflecting out of order. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we have time for spontaneous comments, and that is on step eight. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I'll make another one in about 20 seconds. <laughs> Good. So that, that is the first uh, kind of uh, caveat in using any procedural model. So uh, step one is asking people, how do you feel? So let us say, uh, I have a simulation called the end of the world simulation. It uh, simulates a nuclear holocaust and everybody is dead. That's how we begin the simulation and things uh, get worse from there. And this is obviously a very highly emotional kind of a reaction. And uh, another workshop, another uh, game I do is a role play guided visualization on death and dying. So the first thing you do is ask people, how do you feel? And there, there's a rationale for starting with that. Uh, the rationale is uh, they have so much of internal turmoil. If you don't give an opportunity for them to vent, they're going to be talking to themselves and not listening to you. So you get it off their chest and have them talk about it, have people discover they have similar feelings or they may have different feelings. So exploring the feelings is the first step. Having said that, Matt, uh, that's not going to play if you are working with a bunch of engineers or accountants. I have nothing against them, but you don't begin that a debrief by asking them, how do you feel? So one approach I use, Matt, is instead of call, asking them, how do you feel? You ask them, what is your reaction to what happened? <coughs> and if they want to be very mechanical, linear, and things of that nature, it doesn't really matter. So the first step is, how do you feel? And you usually ask them, how do you feel right now? How did you feel during the experience? Now, the important thing to think about with these six steps is that they're categories, they're buckets. Exactly. So it's not just one question. 
Uh, you're asking multiple questions. Right. You're responding to their responses. There's a flow. Very good point, Matt. So each phase has a priming question. And you, uh, you start with that, or that's your focus. For example, in how do you feel, you could say, during the activity, when did you feel most frustrated? And how do you feel toward the leader of your team? How do you feel toward your facilitator? How did you feel when you lost all the money when you uh, entered into the auction? Things of that yeah. nature. We can, we can do fine-grain analysis. Got it. And step two. Step two is what happened. This is a replay kind of a thing, just to remind themselves what happened. How did it begin? What plans did you have at the beginning? Did you implement all the plans? Did you change them? If you change them, where did you do that? Things of that nature. And I, I actually often find this to be illuminating because people will forget key events that they participated exactly. in. They'll miss key steps of, uh, of ineptitude or incompetence exactly. or, or things they did well. And, uh, and they gloss right over that, focusing on one component and not the rest. Yes. And my friend, uh, Michael Burney, when he does debriefing, he does uh, an interesting thing on phase two, what happened. He videotapes the session, uh, or at least highlights of the session. He asks people what happened, and out of defensiveness, out of being mindless, they come up with a set of things that happened. And it is possible that reality is very, very different. So he runs the videotape and say, let us check back with the reality of the videotape with your recall. And that in itself becomes another debriefing tool. And you can say, were you surprised between what you recalled and what really transpired? And you can branch off into the unreliability of eyewitness reports or false memory, things of that nature, Matt. So step one is the feelings. Mm -hmm. How'd you feel? Step two is what happened, getting a, a linear understanding of the events. Step three. Step three is uh, what did you learn? So, okay, this is what happened. Uh, in our previous uh, wonderful podcast, uh, we were talking about jolts. And one of the jolts I had was to ask people to recite the names of the week, beginning with Sunday and ending with the Saturday. They have no difficulty. Then, as you may remember, I had them recite the days of the week, beginning with Friday and alphabetically reciting them until they end with Wednesday. So they find the first activity very, very easy. The second activity, very, very cumbersome, frustrating, slow. So after the activity, when I come to what did you learn stage, I ask them, what did you learn? And the point I'm trying to get across is before you can learn something new, you'll have to unlearn your previous practices. And the more habitually you learned something, because reciting the days of the week begins in kindergarten 
and uh, you keep uh, overlearning that and it is more difficult for you to get rid of that. So it is possible at this time, at, at this stage, I will just ask him, what did you learn? And uh, some people will uh, come up with, uh, the more you learn something previously, the more difficult it is to learn new procedures, new processes, things of that nature. What's the difference between me giving you a, an answer I know is right <coughs> and an answer that's visceral for me? So uh, when I'm debriefing, I often find that I don't necessarily trust that they believe what they're saying, that they, they know how to give me the right answer, or they can come up with the profundity intellectually, but <coughs> but it's not something that is ingrained in them. They don't necessarily believe it. Uh, how, do, how do you handle that, or do you even care? Uh, it all depends on how dramatic the jolt or the insight is. In the case of repeating the days of the week, they catch on and they immediately believe it, and what happens the next stage kind of reinforces it. Got it. So, how do you feel? What happened? What did you learn? Step four. Step four is how does this relate to real life? So, going back to the simulation or the jolt of not being able to recite the days of the week in alphabetical order as fluently as you would the days of the week in chronological order. Uh, the thing they learned is if you already know something, it is difficult for you to learn new things. So we ask them, how does this relate to real life? And somebody is going to say, hey, we implemented a new process in clearing the checks. And many people got screwed up because they kept going back. And some people may give a shallow response. Like if you have to recite the letters of the alphabet in the reverse order, it's going to be difficult. Which is good, which is taking the activity and making a near transfer. But what we are trying to do is get them transfer it to a far away, use it as a metaphor. So if somebody says, anytime you see an application system change, it's going to be difficult for the same reason. Anytime you shift from Mac to an IBM PC, you're going to have a Windows machine, you're going to have difficulty. Anytime you are driving a rental car, which is different. So people keep on coming with that. It does two things. One is transfer what they learned to the real life, and the other one, uh, coming back to the concern you had, is it strengthens people that this is not just a fun experiment. It has relevance to what's happening in the workplace, what's happening in the real world. So uh, almost the difference between theory and application. Exactly. Step three is theory, application will be step four. Uh, exactly. And it is possible that in step three, what did you learn? People may come up with things that are unexpected. This is like the audience in an improv act. Somebody is going to say something like, um, I learned that I make a fool of myself when I try to 
do some new activity which is related to the principle you are trying to get but it is also a some other dimension so we ask people okay in terms of real world relevance how many of you felt uncomfortable embarrassed and felt like you are making a fool of yourself when you had to implement a new coaching procedure for example so that could be many principles that we have listed and in addition that could be many principles that other people uh, may come up with which you hadn't thought of so let's move into step 5 okay uh, so just to recap step 1 is how do you feel step 2 what happened step 3 what did you learn step 4 how does it relate to the real world and step 5 is extrapolating from the data something like i asked you to recite the days of the week so if i gave you 10 minutes to practice before you trying to do that what would you have done or we are trying to go beyond the constraints of the jolt at the similar so it's really what if uh, it is what if exactly and so uh, what if we said okay everybody get 10 minutes and at the end of 10 minutes whoever can recite it the fastest will get $20 as a prize and how would it affect so you can branch off into the impact of competition or the undesirable effects of competition things of that nature you can even use it to redo the activity in ways you were unwilling to yeah, do it for exactly. real exactly exactly and you can also do it to redo the activity which you cannot uh, legally do for example whoever is done to your head <laughs> whoever is has not uh, been able to recite the letters of the alphabet in the correct alphabetical order let uh, or days of the week in correct alphabetical order we are going to kill you if your life depended on it how would you do it so this is obviously something you don't want to try it out as maybe you can try it out as a simulation and say you are dead to go stand in uh, the corner water pistols yes noon exactly so that uh, that is uh, one of the main things about what if its limitations and its advantages so motions what happened uh what did you learn implications back on the job what if okay and this is the last step the last step step number 6 is how would you change your behavior if i were going to play the game all over again knowing how the game is conducted how would you change your behavior or if somebody says i'm going to attend maths workshop tomorrow uh, uh what how can i prepare that to be ready what advice would you give to your friend would you tell your friend hey before you go to the workshop learn how to recite the days of the week in alphabetical order 
I remember there was a the change management game where we yes. have people try and come up with two two dollars and seventeen cents in coins, mm-hmm. and they have to have the most amount of coins, uh, exactly, and gather it. And a woman came to the workshop a week later with a penny jar filled with <laughs> coins. Right, uh, filled with the pennies because she is maximizing the number of coins uh, used to add up to $2 and 17 cents. So angry with you for not running that again. <laughs> exactly. The so one of the approach how would you play the same game again but more importantly if the game were just a metaphor for real life how would you use what you learned to change your workplace behavior or your real behavior. For example, somebody may say anytime I introduce a new process, I will not assume just by looking at the job aid they will follow the new process. I will sit down and say, folks, let us work to come up with the differences between how we did in the old way and how we have got let me stress the changes so you don't mindlessly fall into the previous one. Uh, when I ran this, uh, by the way, one of the people said, um, what I'm going to do is every time I have a fight with my significant other, we fall into the same routine, same pattern. So maybe we have learned how to cheat, how to manipulate, how to fight. Maybe we should sit down and number one, make the steps of the process clearly visible and number two, talk and say, how should we change it? So they were doing a process engineering kind of a thing without calling it based on this simple activity. So sum up the, sum up the steps again and then I'm mm-hmm. going to talk for a few minutes about application. Okay, uh, step number one is how do you feel? Your turn. Step number two. Uh, what happened? Step number three. What did you learn? Step number four. How does it relate to your job? Very good. Step number five. What if? Number six. What next or what would you change if you had it to do all over? Very good. Excellent. So thinking about application, mm-hmm. when do I do a full-blown four-hour debrief okay. versus a two-minute debrief? How, how do I determine the, the value return? You do a debriefing under three circumstances. One, if it is emotionally provocative. If, for example, you play a role play in which some people are excluded, others don't talk to them, you do a debrief because you got to decompress, you have to bring them back. So that that's one important thing. The second time you do debriefing is if it's a complex issue, like you say, you are the president of the company for a day, just like in your $6 million game, the initial simulation, and they have to take into account 30 different variables. And so you have to, during debriefing, you have to say, remember the decisions you made? What were some of the variables that you ignored? What were the consequences? So emotional activities, complex activities, and the third part 
is the connection between the real world event we are trying to portray and the game. For example, if we say, hey, let us do this activity, we, we will do a lifeboat simulation. We are going to throw one of you out of the lifeboat. How does it feel? And if it is supposed to be related to downsizing, then maybe the concept is too abstract. Debriefing helps. Are there times when you wouldn't debrief? Uh, obviously, you will not debrief. If, for example, you're teaching them a mathematical skill and your focus is on how to find the Pareto principle or something like that, and that is a linear, mechanical, mathematical type of a thing. Don't waste that time by saying, how exactly did you feel when you were not able but to... But I was frustrated. <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> right. And uh, hey, folks, uh, we are a bunch of uh, auditors. We don't feel, so shut up and <laughs> do that. And uh, people try to debrief everything, which sometimes may backfire. You've got to focus on what goal you're trying to achieve. Your goal is for people to list the five steps of the adding model. Your goal is not to make them realize how they feel when they are having an argument with a subject matter expert. All right, so I get up in front of a room, and my first question is, hey, how did you all feel going through that? Uh -huh. Or what's your reaction? And I get blank stares. Yes. Nothing happens. They, yeah. they don't even respond. They don't even blink. Okay, simple approach is, number one, don't ask them how do you feel and have them stand up and do a self-confession session. We are not a socialistic country. So primarily all you do is instead of asking them how do you feel, you ask them how do you think most people felt. So you impersonalize the question. The second approach is if they spontaneously stand up and tell you that's good. If not, pause for a bit as if this is what you always intended and to say turn to your neighbor and the, between the two of you, share what you predict will be the reactions of most people. Oh, that's a great idea. So if, I'm if full of debrief... great ideas. <laughs> really? I've only seen about one a day. Okay. <laughs> so, so if it's bombing, mm -hmm. you have a couple other ways to... Yeah, can... exactly. 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 Good. Yep. So, I think our time is up, Matt. That was... Uh, Boy, uh, I insult you once and you want to quit? <laughs> exactly. How do I feel? Wow, I well, feel very depressed. In the very beginning, I said, let's table something. Yes. But I can't remember what it was. Uh, do you okay. remember? The time requirement. Got it. Good. That is a wonderful website called reviewing.com.uk and it is uh, uh, it is a website where Roger Greenaway who is an Englishman living in Scotland he specializes his life in debriefing except he doesn't call it debriefing he calls it doing a review and he's got a lot of ideas on his website. Uh, and if you go to his website, there is a section on how to do debriefing fast. 
So for example, one approaches popcorn, you say, how do you feel? And you say, this is what you are going to be doing. If you got a response, stand up, say one word, sit down. And let us see how many people can pop up, give a response and sit down. That's all you do. You don't spend a long time giving a therapy. The other approach will be for you to write an answer, quick answer on a piece of paper and give it to you. Another approach will be for you to say, folks, we don't have time, but here is a prepared question. Take it home this evening, respond to them. Still another approach could be go home, write a log about what happened today. So there are many yep. things you can do to speed up the process, Matt. So uh, we have a write-up on our website about the debriefing. Yes. Uh, in our free stuff section. Yes. And if you do a search with the word debriefing, you'll find... Roger Greenaway's articles also. Oh, Roger's you know, been a contributor to the newsletter. newsletter. Yes. So, so great. Uh, so I think we're going to wrap up. Any final thoughts? Uh, life, the meaning of life is for you to reflect on life. Right. So debrief before it's too late. And that's our alarm to go. <laughs> Tune bye in bye. next time. Do you okay, go? it's 10. <laughs> it's been a while. So you take the 10 nails and, and you, you tell them they can do it in 10 and you ask them if they want to change their bid knowing that the answer might be higher. And you part of the debrief as you go through multiple stages of this, Joel, is if you change your answer just because you know something is possible, uh, how, how could that affect the ways in which you could solve the problem? Does it open up new avenues for solving the problem if you know that the answer exists? If you don't know an answer exists, sometimes that can shut down avenues for solutions. So, and then you solve the, the uh, you give them a chance to actually solve the problem right. and come up uh, with an answer. But by the way, if you guys are curious, uh, this is also in a YouTube video. Just uh, check for balancing nails on the head of another nail or I something. Did we do that one? We did not do that, but ASTD, Milwaukee, or somebody did right. that. Uh, and okay, so. so and, and what's cool about it is, uh, uh, again, it, it opens up people's eyes to something that has nothing to do with roofing nails. The major advantage jolt of that jolt and any other jolt is they are absolutely engaging. The major disadvantage is if you do too many of them, you keep irritating people. So use it with caution. Don't pile up too many jewels. That is my final thought on this area, Matt. Good. So uh, if you have any questions about jolts or uh, our, our amazing ability to do a podcast, Please uh, send either Tiagi or me an email. Uh, I'm Matthew at Tiagi.com. Tiagi is Tiagi at Tiagi.com. Hey, by the way, th it, there was no real fire. It wasn't a fire alarm. It is my iPhone. Hey, th that's what people were going to email us about. <laughs> so anyway, our next episode will be on debriefing. So tune in someday, sometime, somewhere 
for the episode number two of the Tiagi Group podcast. Take care. Thank you. Mm-hmm.